There are days when we wake up with the most random ideas. Then we end up wondering if these thoughts also pop into other people's minds. Not everything makes sense, and I feel like some of my thoughts shouldn't even be said aloud. I'm a clinical psychologist and part-time psychology professor, and in this podcast, I'd talk about these random ideas and in between maybe discuss interventions to some of life's common questions. Because who knows, maybe you'd find connections between your mind, body, and behaviors. This is Psychopage, listening to that voice at the back of my head. Welcome back to another episode of That Voice at the Back of My Head. This episode is devoted to doing the impossible and the four-year-long journey I went on beginning 2017. I find this relevant to talk about for me because it has only been a few months since I finished that milestone of my life and I could officially own up to the three letters P, H, and D after my name, for which it was almost an impossible feat because Number one, I did not have enough money on my own to pay for it. Number two, I wasn't quite sure if I was cut out for it and all the research, paperwork, and doing another thesis. Number three, I didn't know if I could manage my job, then go to class at night for a few more years. And number four, I wasn't quite sure if I was really interested in research at all. I believe it was in 2016 where I made the decision to go for a PhD after failing to secure a scholarship within an art school I was applying for. Yes, I know it sounds so nerdy of me to chase one degree after the next, and to top it all off, I had just finished my master's degree in psychology two years before, but indeed I am a nerd to the core despite what people say I look or act like sometimes. Anyway. I was in a research conference in Japan called the International Congress of Psychology and it was after a long day of attending symposia and presentations so I ended up sitting down at one of the fountains at the Pacifico Yokohama where the conference was being held. I remember almost not going because I didn't know if I would have again enough money to go and I was unaware of all the processes involved to travel. but. When I got my acceptance letter for the conference and posted about it saying, oh, I got in, but too bad I wasn't going, people actually messaged me about getting financial assistance and getting loans, which I was not intending to do because the thought of asking for money to go abroad was such a foreign thing for me. I did get any assistance though because the thought of me, a non-teaching professional, going for a research conference as I learned was something not totally supported by most institutions and the thought of that sort of made me actually want to go even more just to prove some people in higher places wrong and just leave a system that was a bit political and somewhat suffocating but at the end of the day i did just want to go to japan so i got there and i presented my master's thesis as poster presentation and pleasantly enough People came by, talked to me, and even exchanged emails. So I was on high, learning, sharing, and even networking, which was something that I didn't usually enjoy. Then it dawned on me that some of the presenters were actually PhD students who were just in a few years older than me and 
had similar ideas as mine, which later became their dissertations. It hit me like I hit my head on low ceiling. The pain is there, lingering like my interest was in going back to school. So again, I sat there at the edge of the water fountain with so many strangers talking and doing their own thing. And there I was having this existential crisis of my own. And I remember that I went to Japan with my friend Jack and I was planning to look for a job there as a psychologist or maybe gain a tip about a new potential job to explore. And what I got was a list of qualifications that included a minimum requirement of possessing a PhD in order to be a practicing psychologist or a mental health professional there. So I said to myself, okay, that was a bust. But that voice at the back of my head kept saying, you know, just go for it. So what began as a potential job hunt turned into a life decision that could not have turned out better than I thought it would. I recall that then when I was younger, uh, it was one of my goals to be a doctor and now people call me doctor for which I often say, yes, you can call me that, but I'm no surgeon, okay? And I couldn't prescribe you any medications if that is something that you're consulting me for. And the decision to actually study again wasn't something that I thought of for a long time because as I shared in my last episode, I was more inclined to go for an art school. So just like some major decisions in my life, I sat in front of my computer and clicked the send button And it was funny because one of my friends, Eric, who was also in the process of enrolling his own courses for a PhD. And when we talked a few months before that, I did say that I wasn't so interested. But when I got to look at the requirements for application, I found that whatever I sent to get a visa to go to Japan were almost the same things I needed to apply for a PhD program. So... There I was, holding all these documents in my hand and all the signs possibly pointing to that obvious decision to take the plunge. And so I did. It was December 2016, a few months or, yeah, a few months after the trip to Japan that I rode a bus to my future school, De La Salle University in Manila. And this was also one of the few times to ride the train again in Manila. And I was glad to know that my sense of direction was still intact, but... It's all thanks to Google Maps. A few months later, I was already enrolling courses and looking at the possible schedule I had, it cut through my work week. And since I was still living in Baguio City at that time, it meant that I needed to ride a bus to Manila and then go back home and do it again at least twice each week. It seemed impossible and quite pricey on both my pockets and my sleep schedule. So imagine riding a bus at 7 a.m. to reach your class at around 5 p.m., then ride a bus at 9 p.m. and get home at 3 a.m., then sleep for a few hours and wake up for work at 7 a.m. So at first, it was really exciting, but also crazy, but a little bit exciting. Uh, Being able to go on a trip on my own on an air-conditioned bus, thank God, then getting off, and trying to learn concepts in class that were previously inaccessible or unknown to me. And being the nerd that I am, my mind at that point was so thirsty for something new. And every time I got on the bus, I imagined myself entering a new world of possibilities where 
I'm able to connect things in my mind, sort of like entering a portal where I feel somewhat invincible and empowered enough to begin writing, reading, and creating something new. Then, every time I get home, I feel like returning to the real world where I have to face the daily grind, get through the work day with what little energy I had. And I believe it was Solomon's opponent process theory that I often felt where after experiencing a high on knowledge, I felt the joyous feeling leaving my body as I returned to the normal realm. And in the middle of those highs and lows were moments where I was literally trying to run after deadlines and sometimes after buses that almost left me at the side of the road because of being late. So I had no choice. I needed to do an impossible thing, which at that point for me became writing on the bus. While accomplishing my academic courses for my PhD, I think I wrote most of my requirements on buses or coffee shops. So while everyone was sleeping in their seats, there I was, typing my butt off because I wouldn't have enough, enough time to do any requirements after work because I was often tired or sleepy, plus I needed to do extra paperwork for going on vacation leaves just to attend classes every week. And I recall that even on trains, I would read some notes on my phone or whatever book that was prescribed to me. I had to do that. This might be a familiar thing for a lot of people who are both working and enrolled in a graduate school. The constant juggling of tasks and seemingly extra activities that sometimes converge all in the same day, all while other people are expecting you to come out alive and still ready for more. And at least that's what grad school was for me. And what I learned from improvisation in theater back in college is to say yes to every single opportunity and try to weave and bob through all the challenges. And it is within these situations that I think I tried to apply skills of prioritization by taking each task at a time. Well, it wasn't a easy process and it took a lot of practice but finishing one then moving on to the next and I call it that avatar flow state where I sometimes make the last few minutes of each tasks um, meeting or conference to plan for what comes next and I know it's crazy because well I think that if you're aiming for great things in the future, it has to be somewhat as crazy as that. At some point, I think I have been told by at least 10 people each month to stop and smell the roses or take a break from everything. But sometimes when I am in that avatar flow state, I don't want it to end or pause because I feel as though I could do anything and everything possible when I'm in that zone. And thankfully enough, it isn't a manic or hypomanic state that could literally be classified as some disordered behavior or trait, but mainly a feverish state of reading, writing, and learning, which I find is something that is consistent about myself most of the time, and the way I learn concepts or attack a project. And as someone who often ruminates and overanalyzes about things, I found that every time I attempt to accomplish a document, paperwork, or some task, it's always with 
a show on a screen behind or beside me earphones plug in my ear and a game playing on my phone and this is something that I don't necessarily recommend to anyone who is easily distracted because you might literally not get anything done if you are easily distracted but just like any situation the factors and circumstances would produce some difference like like listening to calm music might actually help you relax and when you're tense or watching a horror film while doing a routinary task on your computer would actually keep you motivated or at least awake to do the task no matter how boring it is and as i'm running through these thoughts i'm reminded of a question i answered earlier in one of my speaking engagements is there actually a formula to getting things done and staying motivated and i remember as answering yes but the formula has to be flexible or fluid enough to handle any changes in whatever is going on around the person and if you're kind of into statistics or algebra it might be similar to a regression equation or a simple equation that actually solves for the slope like for example y equals mx plus b where any behavior y is affected by the slope mx which could be the amount of motivation you could possess and b which could be any factors that would have an impact on the whole equation and in basic psychology classes we learned that behavior is in function of the person and the environment and this means that whatever we do is affected by internal and external factors and the success rate of that behavior producing the goal we want is a mixture of different factors surrounding us thus for me obtaining a successful objective sometimes means having my phone in front of me while i type having the television behind me turned on and i sometimes experience moments where it's actually easier for me to think clearly when i'm trying to drown out all the noise around me with loud music and I'm letting myself focus on a second or third screen instead of any other thing in my space that would make me think about other things other than what I'm doing. This podcast is not a substitute for any form of mental health intervention or counseling. Though some of it may be therapeutic for you, there are also some things that are quite opinionated and wouldn't sit well with you, and that's okay, because these points may be points of new debate or new conversation. But for those listening and do think that at some point you need counseling or just someone to talk to you about your experience, know that there are mental health professionals willing and available to listen to you, and some of them are on different social media sites. That being said, please do be careful and find reputable and trained professionals because getting the right kind of help is also as important. And it's confusing, I know. How could you be less distracted when you add more distracting things in your space? And it's tough to answer that because I remember all my high school and college years being full of extracurricular activities on top of regular schoolwork. But again, as I recall some studies about learning, acquiring knowledge and motivation, um, there has to be some 
minimal stimulation or that thing that would spark your interest and keep you somewhat on track because your attention in there, the interest is there, and the thought of gaining something new from the task is also there. And in further readings, there are researchers that say that some people are actually slow to stimulate or it's difficult to get them engaged in a learning task while some people seemingly go for it and learn things quickly in a conventional way. No distractions, in silence, and what some of the people I know do, they shut their doors and put invisible do not disturb signs up in order to get things done. And analyzing it that way, I think that somehow I might be a person who needs more stimulation that I need in most, in terms of starting things which is why the feeling of the moving vehicle while I type and read is actually quite appealing to me and this might also explain why I choose to write in coffee shops and restaurants despite them having a lot of distracting things but then again I'm able to focus. I remember taking some tests back in college that measured the level of school achievement and studying styles that one has and surprise, surprise, I did get a low score in all the studying styles test, which said that I had poor studying skills and that I would probably have a lot of trouble understanding concepts, even if I thought I was that smart. And fair enough, I did get into trouble with some subjects because of my lack of motivation, but I'll talk about that in another episode probably. But going back to that thought of learning and doing things differently, I think we have come to a point in life where we recognize that there are different pathways that people take in order to pick things up and learn. And sometimes it's a matter of trial and error in finding a suitable avatar flow state where you're actually comfortable with. Sometimes people also just call it flow or that moment where you seem to be in your element, you're having fun, you're doing your thing, and it's all in a time-bound and seemingly enjoyable manner. And these thoughts came to me of late because I have been quite disconnected with my own avatar flow state, and it has been difficult to resume that former glory I thought I once had. But considering the amount of work and extracurriculars I have been involved with in the past weeks, I do think it might be just the amount of work rather than a motivational thing. However, that being said, I did have the same problems before and now I'm wondering where all the drive, all the motivation and that avatar flow state went. I mean, I did finish my PhD already, so somehow I expected to be more super powered up in a way, but sadly not so much and I couldn't just jump on a bus now, could I? And I think this is a familiar situation for a lot of people who have been doing a lot of work and then suddenly finding themselves in a demotivated state or a slump. So. I'm taking a page out of the things me and my clients talk about when we talk about getting on that bus to get all that work done. And I'm writing my own equation to how I could get back to that avatar flow state. Now putting myself in the client's shoes, I recall the experience of riding on the bus and 
the differences of writing one paper to the other. The last time I did such a thing was in that trip to Taiwan that I used in previous episodes. Unlike my previous trips from Baguio to Manila and back, that ride was actually on one of the high-speed rails, which was amazing by the way because it was so quick and I recall eating a pack of sushi rolls and banana milk while the train sped through what seemed to me like 5 to 10 cities, but I'm not quite sure because half the time I was trying to type down ideas for the last portions of my dissertation and the other half was spent on exploring the features of the train like the onboard vending machine that dispensed yogurt drinks and orange coca-cola products and it was an hour or two spent on the train and i was able to write down at least the results and half of the discussion section of my paper and it wasn't perfect or the final version of the draft but like my mentor dr karinta roja told me it has to be written and not just something that's just floating in your mind or some version of that but i understood it that way so i sat there pacing myself because in a few minutes the train would be stopping and me and my companions would start navigating and i'd hate to lose my laptop in another country now would i anyway going back to that kind of progress there were sugary drinks and food good seats friends my laptop especially and extra time and i think there was some pressure from that voice at the back of my head saying come on you only have a few minutes left make it count so okay so maybe that was my avatar flow state equation now i have to see if it's a bit consistent and i think that in those kinds of situations you could try to recall some of those when you're doing it on your own and uh, what I found is that on that same trip I also recall typing my butt off on a bench at the side of the railroad tracks and yet again looking at my stored photos a laptop my friends a cat shaped cookie from the cat footage and some downtime and that pressure saying you brought your laptop with you so use it <laughs> so again there I was typing the rest of my paper with me and feeling the same level of productivity and not feeling guilty about taking a two-week trip abroad. And this is the ironic thing that I see in clients also. Feeling guilty about not doing work, then suddenly bringing work while on vacation. And I'm sitting there like, oh my god, how familiar is this? And after disclosing that, fact that I often do the same thing, it becomes more of a genuine acceptance of, well, what works for you sometimes actually does work for you. And that's the whole point of this whole episode, I guess. Finding out your whole equation on uh, for writing on a bus, meaning identifying that po seemingly impossible thing you thought you weren't able to do in a million years, but then ending up doing it by chance or by pressure. And the next step is knowing what led to that. It might be the lack of time, the pressure from yourself or from other people, the need to beat a certain deadline, the thirst to finish things or 
do random things that sometimes pop up in your mind. And what I find that usually happens during these avatar flow states for me is a feeling of familiarity where you have all the elements of that equation with you. And it's the same as that no excuses point I talked about in previous episodes where you have everything in your disposal. So there is literally no excuse or hindrance that could stop you from doing what you set out to do. And this feeling of familiarity is a good thing because just like muscle memory, being able to wield all these elements becomes easier. And the time it takes for you to activate or stimulate your mind actually gets shorter, I find. And this constant process might involve asking yourself, is this still working? Am I still okay with this? How can I make it better? How long can I sustain this? And once you've mapped down answers to these questions, adjustments seem to follow. And this sometimes means trying to go about things even when your bus seat isn't as comfy as you want, when your cookie or biscuit isn't as sweet, or when your bus trip is suddenly cancelled and you need to circle back and, and you need to look for a new bus or trip to get to where you need to go. And I sometimes imagine the most desperate moments like that, being left by a bus and then thinking, I should hitch a ride with a stranger if I could, or I would pay another person more money for their bus ticket. And sometimes that attitude of not, never giving up or simply um, being persistent does pay off sometimes. And some clients I have sometimes break the sign of conflict or the first sign of difficulty. And sometimes when you get down to it, it's that stick to itiveness that could actually carry you to the right path. And people have trouble connecting to that. And it's sort of like that movie or series, Limited, where you have a million solutions and finding the correct one is actually the only task you might need to do, only without the fictional NZT48 drug. Which brings me to my almost last point, persistence. At times when you do get that avatar flow state equation, the choice of using it or abandoning it comes to play. And oftentimes the decision is bounded by the underlying reasons why you chose to do the impossible, to ride a bus. And this is where the desire to learn, the desire to get a PhD and later get a job kicks in. And at least for me, this is what seems quite applicable for a lot of situations. So if you are in a bit of a slump and couldn't get back on track or you couldn't get into your avatar flow state. I'd recap the steps now, which um, somehow worked for me. I don't know if it might work for you, but we could have a conversation about it outside this episode. Number one is identify the impossible task. Number two, identify the elements you need for that task. Number three, recall past experiences where you almost did the impossible task. And number four, make your own equation for success, which involves a lot of the elements that we were again talking about. Number five is trying out the equation. And number six is adjusting the equation when needed. And then number seven is simply remember the reason behind 
trying to, be, to do the impossible, whether it's learning a new thing, starting a project, beginning a new workout regimen, or just getting a degree. But I think it's good to remember that you don't have to be too hard on yourself, because I am, and because in the end, life is an enduring marathon and not a quick burst of energy like in a sprint. So you do have to have that endurance and to be patient and to wait for the right time in order to get your equation, use it, and later on adjust again and again until you get to that goal. Thank you for listening to this episode of That Voice at the Back of My Head. I hope you enjoyed it. And for more episodes, please follow us on Spotify, Anchor FM, or from anywhere you get your podcast from. This is Psycho Peach. See you in the next episode.